Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I am Deborah Gorman Smith, and I am honored to be the dean of the Crown Family School of Social Work Policy and Practice at the University of Chicago. And I am uh, so pleased to welcome all of you today for this important discussion. It is great to see so many colleagues, so many alumni, so many maybe future alumni. Um, So thank you for being here today. Um, This conversation is part of a series of events co-hosted by the Crown Family School and the City Club of Chicago. Our goal is to bring together civic leaders, academics, and community members for open and inclusive conversations so we can build a stronger and more vibrant Chicago. In the coming months, we'll share ideas about social issues and innovations and explore the ways that we can work to solve big problems together using research, evidence-based policies, and direct action. I want to thank Jackie, Amanda, and the entire City Club team for their partnership around this series and for creating a space where we can engage in productive conversations about these critical social matters. Our challenges in addressing Chicago's current migrant situation are urgent and becoming more complex every day. There are no easy solutions. We need the collective knowledge, wisdom, and energy from the business, academic, government, nonprofit, and faith communities so we can develop and implement solutions that will be supportive, compassionate, responsive, and effective. The Crown Family School has a long history of engaging in research and evidence-based policy reform and the the impact not just on the people served, but how policies shape the behaviors of workers and administrators on the ground. Our discussion today will share the ways policymakers, civic leaders, and researchers at universities like the University of Chicago are working together to understand, support, and navigate the many challenges faced. I'm so happy to see so many people here today interested in this conversation. And with that, I'm going to turn the mic over to WBEZ reporter Christian Schorsch, who will introduce our speakers and moderate our discussion. Thank you. Hear me okay? Thanks, Okay. Well, I I thought I'd let um, just each of you introduce yourself briefly for you know two to three minutes or so because it sounds like we have a lot of questions and I'd love to be able to get to as many of those as we can. Pastor Phelps, if you could start. Hi, I'm uh, Pastor Phelps. I am the uh, senior pastor of the Concord Missionary Baptist Church. I'm also the executive director of the Concord Community Organization and also the Home Away from Home Center. Okay, and Beatrice. Good afternoon. I'm Beatriz Ponce de Leon, Deputy Mayor for Immigrant, Migrant, and Refugee Rights for the City of Chicago. And it's the first time that our city has had this position. It's truly a privilege to serve in this role, um, not only in support of our communities, but um, in honor of my parents who came here from Michoacan, Mexico in the late 1960s. So I, um, you know, I appreciate having the opportunity to do this work. And I've been in the nonprofit government space my whole career. So it is also a moment to be able to bring those relationships and that expertise um, and experience to this to this very challenging time. Thank you. Thank you. And Amy? Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Amy Halato. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Chicago Crown Family School of Social Work Policy and Practice. 
I'm also the chair of the Coalition for Immigrant Mental Health, and I've been working with city and state leaders in reimagining mental health supports for migrant arrivals with my co-facilitator, Dr. Ford Poss, who is here from Larry Children's Hospital. You'll hear more about our work today. Thank you. So, Amy, I wanted to start with you. Um, we talk a lot about mental health care in the city right now, of course. Um, you're centering mental health with the coalition that you're part of among the asylum seekers. Can you talk a little bit about um, the impact of that work so far, how long it's been going on, and any sort of progress you've seen? Maybe I'll start with the fact that when it comes to the migrant arrivals, the decision to leave their home country is not an easy one. They know that there are going to be risks, but they take the risks because they have no choice. They feel they have no choice if they want to survive, if they want a life with opportunity. And so they take these perilous journeys, they come to the United States, and what we know is the compounding effects of trauma and stress along that journey can directly influence how well they're able to adapt and adjust to life here in Chicago. Mental health has been something that we have been talking about for quite a while, recognizing that we can't ignore the basic needs that need to be met, but also this idea of to be able to adapt, to be able to thrive, we have to find ways to support the effort. Dr. Ford Paz, as I mentioned, and myself are welcome to city and state conversations around how do we think about supporting the mental health of arrivals, and we were welcome to visit the shelters. We are not strangers to responding to distress in immigrant communities or training a workforce to meet those needs. Very quickly, when we entered those locations, we knew that this was completely different. This is unprecedented. You've heard this in the media. You hear this around our conversations. To walk into a situation in which you have people that are forcibly bused, for some of them, across state lines, to see the sheer number of people that are arriving to look at the emergency context, we as a city, we as a state, we've not had a plan, a map for how to respond in this way. And so we really thought about what would it take to support the mental health needs of those who are arriving because we know untreated mental health problems is going to get in the way of building a life here. We needed to move leadership away from this idea that the only framework, the primary framework for addressing mental distress and reducing suicidality is to increase access to therapists, mm. which was an operating model that we had. We simply don't have an infrastructure, a mental health care system that can absorb tens of thousands of people who need long-term therapy services. We don't have a multilingual, multicultural workforce to do that. We don't have enough psychiatric beds to wait for people who are in acute distress. And so what we've done is, again, the initiative is actually called Reimagining Mental Health Supports for Migrant Arrivals. My team at the UChicago Crown Family School, Dr. Ford Paz and her colleagues at Lurie Children's Hospital, Center for Childhood Resilience, our colleagues at the Coalition for Immigrant Mental Health came together and decided we are going to take a public health approach to mental health. <coughs> We're going to train non-clinical, Spanish-speaking, frontline providers who are in the shelters, who are in community-based organizations, who are in police precincts to be the first line of support in promoting universal strategies for mental health. So we train them on how to recognize trauma and stress responses, how to validate those responses and promote adaptive coping. We are training them on how to run groups so that we can reduce the social isolation that comes with suicide risk. We are training them to look for the red flags that would warrant emergency services, and we are supporting them because we know secondary traumatic stress, compassion fatigue, burnout is quite real. And in doing so, we're narrowing the total number of people who are going to need emergency services. Mm -hmm. 
to date, um, we were brought into the conversations quite early when the buses were arriving. We've trained over 250 frontline professionals. Our trainings are in Spanish. Again, they are staffing emergency shelters. They're in community organizations. They are in police precincts. They are doing this good work. We started this work with foundation monies. Now we are getting funded by the Illinois Department of Human Services, and we are gearing up to train another 250 frontline workers. It's about getting the power, the information to the communities that need, because the needs are so great. And how would you say this type of work can translate to, like, the next time we have a different level of crisis? I'm thinking, like, we talk about climate change crisis a lot. What kind of lessons learned can carry over to that? One of the powerful lessons is that we now understand we have a framework for thinking about community mental health. We have a way of thinking about how do we get services to the folks that need it most. And so while our focus right now is supporting migrant arrivals, this can extend to any of our communities in Chicago, in Illinois, communities that are impacted by trauma, in particular intergenerational racial trauma. I think about community violence in our communities. I think about the impacts of climate change. Already our team has received calls from other cities that are welcoming migrant arrivals. They're asking us for more details on how do we replicate what we're doing in our city? How do we scale up what we're doing across the state? Because we are seeing these mental health trends across the country. We now have guardrails. We have a pathway. We have a framework to make sure we get these services to the people who need it most. And we don't need to rely on just one system. This is about building a system for all and really leveraging the power of our communities. Okay. Thank you. Pastor Phelps, you're providing a lot of wraparound services for migrants, legal aid, um, helping learn English, counseling for trauma. Can you take us to a moment or give us an example? You know, because this is really heavy work, right? Like, what keeps you going? Wow. Well, um, just this past week, um, we... Uh, went to distribute uh, blankets um, to uh, the third uh, district. And uh, most of our work has, for the most part, been with uh, the adult uh, male population uh, that are at the uh, Wadsworth uh, shelter. Uh, But this week, uh, we had an opportunity to uh, get introduced to some kids, some young people. And, And when they they come and they touch you. Um, for us, it's a humanitarian crisis. And, um, and so when you just kind of see those people who really are hopeless in some cases and some are hopeful, um, you know, to just give them hope, we, we feel like they just need a little support. We feel like they just need a little opportunity. Um, they, they need care. For us, it's real simple. They're here, they're hungry, they're helpless. And so uh, what faith-based organizations do is uh, we welcome those that are hurting, those that are hungry, and those that are homeless. And so to just really touch people uh, in that way and make a difference is why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we really are m- making a, a, a great difference. I, I think, like I said, it's a humanitarian crisis that we're facing. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be all, all boots on the ground as far as that is, is concerned. All right. So all of us need to be working towards that. It's not black versus brown. For us, it's and both. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, if they're hungry, we need to feed them. If they're 
naked, we need to clothe them, right? If they're thirsty, we need to give them drink, right? That's a, a Christian principle and Christian application. And so that's, that's what we do. That's a Christian value that we aspire to. And we are not just doing it since August of 2022. We've been doing this for the last 59 years in the Woodline community and for CCO since 2015. Um, and so that's what we do. We, we see our ministry, our services as bridging the gap because um, with, the, um, with the presence of the migrants, there have been a lot of tension um, racial tension within our our communities, but what we have learned again, going back to your original question, is that not only are they resilient but the the migrants are very talented and gifted you know in in those shelters are doctors, lawyers, teachers um, business owners that are there. Uh, and uh, they just need some support. They need they need um, you know credentials. They they need um, uh, uh, they need credentials. They also need housing. They need employment opportunities. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We're trying to to uh, you know trying to help wherever we can. Is it sustainable what you're able to do? Absolutely. I think it really is. I think that um, there's a lot of resources, I think, uh, that are available. The bottom line is it's just not reaching the faith based organizations. Right. There's a lot of money that's being thrown towards this issue. But a lot of us, it's just not making it down to the community-based organizations, right? But uh, we want to just kind of serve as a model. Again, like Dr. Dr. Amy said, you know, we want to serve as a model to show that faith-based organizations really are concerned, and we want to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, right? All we're looking for, again, is is support. We want to partner with those individuals that, again, have the same care and compassion you know, for 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 because uh, they're human. Right. And so, yes, I think it's possible, highly possible. And by our indication, as we see, um, it's growing. Right. And so the needs are going to be even, you know, even more so uh, in the coming months. Right. So so everybody needs to be a part of it. So it's it's boots on the ground as far as we're concerned. And for us, it's not either or. If you don't hear anything else, I'm saying it's not either or. It's and both. And so we need help, boots on the ground. But we also need, again, policies and procedures that help to, you know, quickly expedite uh, work permits, you know, expedite um, housing vouchers, um, expedite funding Right. And policies to kind of stop the hemorrhage, but at the same time, you know, help those that are in the system. Yeah. Yeah. Because for us, the way we see it is, like I said, they're very talented. Right. They're very gifted. They're very compassionate. And so here's our vision. Here's our hope. If we can help integrate them into our 
our community, I, I am very confident that they will become productive citizens. All right. And if you notice what especially the black and brown community needs, we, we need these kind of resources. Right. And so if if we can help them and they can help us, we will, again, you know, build our community, make a better not only Woodline, but a better Chicago, not only a better Chicago, but a better, you know, United States of America. If we can just work together and find ways to support one another. Yeah, thank you for that. Beatrice, um, I know it seems like things are changing. Things are changing rapidly. Every day there's, there's something new, right? Can you talk about going forward? What is the city's vision to tackle this, this issue? Thank you. And I just want to acknowledge the work of Pastor Phelps and Dr. Ilalo because it really, um, it, I think it, it's just um, evidence of the support and the hope that we have for, for our new neighbors. Um, you know, Taking a step back, and I, I appreciate that we started with the humanity of people and and the fact that our asylum seekers and other migrants that have been coming here since last year um, are human beings and they are um, people that can become part of our communities. Chicago has has been a city of immigrants from its inception, and um, I'm not sure if, if folks know, but uh, Jean-Baptiste Dussabo was Haitian immigrant. He was of both African and European descent. And he married uh, Kitihawa, who was from the Potawatomi uh, nation. And they became Chicago's first family. So the fact that we have an interracial mixed immigration status family as the founding family for Chicago is pretty symbolic of how our city has, has evolved over time. We, we clearly have um, ethnic and, and other identities um, in our city that people are proud of. And just in the last 20 years, we've welcomed refugees from Bosnia, from Croatia, from Burma, Afghanistan. And then most recently, in the last couple of years, almost 30,000 Ukrainian refugees have been settled here in the Chicago area with, with little... Um, Resistance, You know, I think people have welcomed them and they've become part of our communities in large part because they those official refugee communities have come with the infrastructure, the support and the funding to help them become part of Chicago. What we're facing in as a city, both um, Chicago and others like Denver and New York, D.C., L.A., is cities are being asked to do the work of the federal government in resettling large numbers of, of migrants without the support, without the infrastructure, without the dollars. And no city was set up to do that. So everyone has been scrambling to figure out how to do it. What I think Chicago has that is making us different from the other cities I named is that we have not closed our doors. We've embraced that we are a welcoming city in a welcoming state. Part of that welcoming is that we have a welcoming city ordinance that protects um, undocumented immigrants in particular. But it is also that we've made a commitment to do our best to welcome these folks and provide them with resources, meet their basic needs, connect them to supports that will help them become self-sufficient and really be able to be integrated into our, into the Chicago region. Um, that is hard to do, and I appreciate earlier comments that there isn't one solution for it. So I, I just would like to share what um, this administration is aiming to do, recognizing that 
It isn't easy. It isn't perfect. It's not pretty, but it is a path that we're on. So our goal really is the long view. Our goal is exactly as Pastor Phelps was describing. How do we help this group of new neighbors to become productive, healthy parts of our community and, and really become part of the fabric of Chicago? Um, when, when Venezuelans started coming here in larger numbers last year, there wasn't a Venezuelan community to really embrace them and help them connect like my parents had when they first started, when they first arrived to Chicago or other immigrant groups have had. But now there is. We've had, we've welcomed over 20, almost 20,000, um, new arrivals from the southern border. The majority are Venezuelan, but there are also Colombians, Haitians. There are people from Ghana, from Angola, from Russia. We've had groups of Chinese, um, immigrants as well. And all of those folks have come up through this busing program that Governor Abbott began last year. So in that, just to put things into context, between January and May, mid-May, when this administration um, came into office, only one bus was, was sent here. But buses started in August of 2022. Total, we've had 462 buses arrive to Chicago. Each bus has 40 or 50 people. We've also, in recent months, seen between 50 and 100 people arriving at our airports, mostly at O'Hare. Um, but in that span of time, January to, to May, there was just one bus. When this administration came into office in mid-May, it coincided with the change of Title 42, which is when um, the border was open again for people to, to cross and, and request asylum. And so from May 12th to now, we have received 362 buses, in addition to hundreds of people at O'Hare. And I think... It's actually something to be proud of that Chicago has been able to open 25 shelters that we currently have almost 12,000 people in our, in our shelters. Um, we haven't been able to keep up with the pace because we don't control the number of buses, but we are working to generate resources and support from an intergovernmental coalition. We work closely with county, with the state, and with our federal um, delegation, and have advocated for the supports, the funding, flexible funding, and the coordination that is needed at all those levels. We know that this is uh, a challenge that will take everyone to step into. Um, we're, we're, the state funds the majority of the resettlement efforts, but we have asked for more support in creating resettlement hubs in other parts of the state. Um, and as we look to the winter months ahead, we will continue to look at opening brick-and-mortar shelters, but also setting up the base camp-type shelters that will give us the opportunity to um, help people move out of the police stations more quickly into safe and, and warm shelter where we can provide the resources they need. So I think as this continues to evolve... I, you know, I ask that we, we take that long view, that we think about what will be possible over the next year, um, how people will be bringing their talents to our city and we can incorporate them. And, and I ask that all of us consider whatever your sphere of influence is or the sector that you work in, how you can connect and plug into this effort citywide. Thank you. Okay. What is the ETA on the base camps? 
It's clearly really cold out today, for example. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, we have several locations that we're interested in. They need to be assessed. We need to work with the um, aldermanic offices of those wards. And, um, you know, things are taking a little longer than we expected in terms of doing the land assessments and also engaging with community about about those sites. I mean, are you thinking a couple weeks, a month? Because I'm wondering if they they aren't set up, what's the backup plan? Ideally, it would be in the next month. And the backup plan has been that we will continue to look for larger spaces where we can open shelters more quickly. We've also um, gone more strategically to work with our faith communities. There are churches, um, both the Archdiocese has been a partner and other churches that are interested and working with us on smaller scale, being able to open shelters and partner with us and helping to house folks. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about what you just mentioned about um, resettling people across the state? What does that look like? Already there's there's some migration going to other cities in the state. So last year when the state opened um, hotel shelters, they did the first round of sheltering last fall, people then settled in those areas. So there are there are some suburban communities that have a growing number of asylum seekers, and we see that people are beginning to want to um, settle in those spaces. But we need more active participation from municipalities to be willing and able to use the resources that are available to provide some shelter and longer-term housing case management and resettlement. The state is uh, a partner in supporting that kind of work, and so, um, you know, together we're working to see which communities want to grow the work that they're doing and how we can provide that support. Okay. Yeah. Can you just kind of sticking on housing for a little bit? Mm-hmm. Can you talk some of the questions that we got before the event today? Yep. A lot of it was around housing and other municipalities. I realize you don't control the suburbs, right? But how how is the city? What do those conversations look like? To be, you know, to have more people be able to go and find housing in in the suburbs. Yeah, so um, I'll, t- I'll talk a little bit about the, the state supports for housing case management. Catholic Charities is our partner in helping folks as they identify apartments and look to where they want to live. And the state has a rental assistance program. And so... Um, Catholic Charities is regional. They're not only helping to, you know, place people in the city, they are working with neighboring suburbs as well. I think that it becomes a matter of identifying affordable apartments, identifying communities where people feel like they can, they can resettle and, and, and resources in those communities to support them in that process. Can you talk a little bit more too about, um, you know, closed buildings that the city doesn't own, for example, working with um, churches, synagogues, vacant, right? Mm -hmm. What does that look like in terms of those conversations as we approach such cold weather? We have vetted over 250 physical spaces in the last year, and they're not all ideal for shelter. So I would say that our, our priority, number one, is what is close to move and ready. So spaces that need very little development because the urgency of, of the matter. What we find sometimes is that we have to build showers or be able to bring a shower trailer on site that we might have to um, make some repairs to make them livable spaces. The longer-term investments are more complicated because we, while they might make sense, but they require six to eight months or ten months plus millions of dollars to invest, those we're, we're holding off on. We are open to looking at them as this evolves, but really our, our priority are spaces that don't require as much work but that we can move into fairly quickly. 
Listen, can I also chime in? One of the services that we offer at the Home Away From Home service is, um, again, housing um, location services, trying to help work with brokers and also landlords to help with that. And we need to also understand that it's very, very difficult because... Um, many, first of all, many of the, the landlords don't want to rent to migrants. Okay. Which is a problem that we are encountering. Um, and also I think it's really a form of discrimination, but that's a, another, another topic. But, you know, we, we, we are looking for, you know, uh, it's really difficult for us to, to, uh, find, uh, landlords and brokers that really want to uh, work with the asylum seekers. Um, I've been told point blank, we're no longer accepting the ASHRAP form. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, We're not renting to migrants. Okay. um, Directly. So again, if we can have support with those that again, uh, you know, no brokers and or uh, landlords that would like to help, we would love to partner with you because I'm literally getting about 25 to 30 requests per day mm-hmm. to um, to assist with housing only to be told, no, we we can't rent to you. Mm-hmm. There's a form that we brought with a QR code. And if you are a landlord or know someone that wants to rent an apartment, you can like give us the information there, or if you have a building that you think would make a, a good site for a shelter, you can also give us that information. And I would just say that for folks who are from communities outside of Chicago, we can't enter in those communities to open a shelter, but certainly, um, you know, you can, you can raise that with your village president. You can bring that to people in that suburb or that municipality and let them know that you are interested in being part of this, of this process in the Chicago region. I also wondered, um, what kind of help are you realistically expecting from the federal government? And there's a lot of, obviously, talk about resources, sustainability. What are those conversations like now? Very concretely, they are going to be working with the state as the lead and then the cities involved and other organizations to help people through the the Temporary Protective Status, TPS program, Mm -hmm. and identifying who's eligible for work authorization so that they can go... Um, more rapidly through that application process. The key to have people come here, they want to work. Nobody wants to live in a shelter for a year. No one wants to live at a police station for a month. They, everyone says the same thing. They would like to work. And there are, the majority are eligible to work once this process is completed. So that is a very concrete um, action that USCIS is working with us to be here on the ground and assist in uh, large clinics to do this work and identify who's eligible and get them the work authorizations as quickly as possible. However, what we need is federal coordination of this resettlement program across the country. Right now, it's being run by the governor of Texas. They are determining which cities the buses are sent to, who they pay you know, bus tickets for, and um, that isn't how a process like this should, should be run. 
President Biden did announce a budget um, request for money that would go for multiple issues, but specifically for the this resettlement and the border work. Uh, it's $1.4 million, I believe, that would be coming to this work. So we are advocating for a large portion of that to come to Chicago. Um, New York has received more of this federal money in the past than we have, and certainly the vast majority of that money goes to the border cities. I want to comment on that because we did do a border trip, a delegation that included faith leaders, um, members of the legal legal services work, nonprofits, philanthropy, and and uh, several, three alder, aldermen and myself and others from the state. And what became super clear is that at the border, their mission is to just be a pass-through city. So everything they do, whether it's a nonprofit, it's local government, or it's the federal government, is to move people through into the interior within one to three days. And they're very proud of being efficient about it and only using federal dollars. They don't use local dollars for that work because they're just pushing people through. For us, it's it's totally the reverse, right? Ours, ours, whether we want to or not, we are becoming resettlement cities. So the federal dollars that are available right now don't work for the interior cities. We need a different pot of money or we need more flexibility with those dollars to be able to invest in the longer-term resettlement. Okay. Yeah. Before we get to uh, audience questions, um, I just want to ask each of you, what's the long-term plan for what you're all involved in? Amy, can you start just in terms of what your vision for where you see you know, the, the support groups and the support you're offering in the shelters and police stations going? The goal is to expand. Uh, the goal is to always ensure that for migrant arrivals specifically, they have access to clinical and non-clinical providers that are going to ensure that the traumas that they experience in coming here, the witnessing of death along the way, the extreme violence, the guilt and shame that comes with exposing children to terrors they should never have experienced, that that infrastructure is in place and works side by side with mm-hmm. our mental health care systems, mm-hmm. that this work doesn't negate that we need to build a mental health workforce, that we need to have adequate beds for those that need specialized acute care. And then the goal will then be to really extend this to other communities, as I mentioned, that this is a framework for thinking about communities that need mental health supports that can be extended to our communities here in Chicago, across our state, across the country. It just takes investment in training a workforce on trauma-informed tenants, psychological first aid. These are things that faith-based communities, you know, nonprofit organizations, we can do this for communities in need. We just need organization around training and partners with city and state leadership to roll this out. Mm-hmm. Pastor Phelps? Well, I think we're going to continue to do some of the things we're doing. We're working with the community. We have, again, conversational Spanish at our location. We also have English as a second language. Um, we'll continue to uh, build the wraparound services is what I'm trying to say. Uh, legal support, housing, location support, uh, physical um, you know, clothing, care packages, social economical um, support on a continual basis. We'll also ramp up. We're looking to partner uh, to do uh, trauma counseling. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we want to continue to to actually, uh, you know, do those things. Additionally, we really want to be the model for bridging the gap between the black and brown community. So we're going to continue. We're looking at, you know, capacity planning and strategic planning so that we can kind of grow our, um, our, 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 our programs. And so, again, we need partners. 
And so uh, we need financial support um, and we need volunteers. We need food, uh, feet on the ground and we need to be at the table, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, not only with City Hall, but um, in the state uh, to kind of represent both. Because, again, for us, it's not either or. Right. It's and both. Okay. Beatrice, yeah. can I just ask, maybe let's just take it seasonally yeah. because this is changing so much. Where do you see the situation you know, through the winter. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping for in terms of housing and being able to have the camp set up and, and just get people, you know, places? Well, our goal is to have everyone indoors. And so, like I said at the beginning, there are multiple solutions. I think we will continue to do, to find brick and mortar spaces. We will continue to work on um, being able to set up at least one, if not more, base camp locations. We will also look with smaller partners like churches and other organizations that have space available and are willing to partner with us. I think another thing to say is that we need to activate our philanthropy and corporate philanthropy communities because so many nonprofit and mutual aid groups that have sprung up, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people of their own um, with time and money helping people at the police district stations. Mm -hmm. And while I would say it would be great if the city could step in and take over those operations, we're not in the position to do that, but they can be funded by some of the dollars that are out there and available. Um, We can't control the number of buses that are coming. The other thing that we're working on to, to make shelter beds available is to ex, like make it more, um, to get people through the system more quickly so that they're staying in shelters shorter periods of time. And as they move out, more people are able to move in. Work authorization will help with that, but there will be other, other changes that we're making to that process that will also help to free up some beds. And I want to say that Everything that we're doing now is building an infrastructure that will be better for the next time. There are climate refugees, other other migrants who are coming to Chicago. We will be much better prepared. And we are also, you know, setting up a different continuum of care and how we serve people who are unhoused. Um, eventually, our system of shelters for asylum seekers and our regular system that we have for people experiencing homelessness should become one. And we should be able to right-size that and make the care that we provide through those, through those shelters um, stronger for, for anyone who needs them. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I hear we have a lot of questions. Do. Awesome. I'm doing my, my best to sort and combine a couple. Um, let's, uh, I'll give you a couple of these. Yeah. And, and maybe I'll, I'll just, as you're reading through a couple of these, I'll, I'll mention that a lot of, in perfect City Club fashion, a lot of the questions are revolving around how we can help, right? How everyone in this room mm-hmm. can help. Uh, and there are different different ideas, different different sectors, you know, architecture sector, the legal services sector, uh, various sectors that are trying to figure out how we can help and maybe how we can combine those efforts. Uh, and so as you're reading through a couple of these other specific questions, I'm just going to throw, throw that, that way. Um, why don't maybe we start, start with you and, and, um, and ask if we could perhaps, leave here with a little bit of a plan of action mm-hmm. of how to bring together all these great services and, and people to, to help the solution. So plan of action in terms of our respective roles in the response plan. Is that correct? Yeah. And how different, how different members of the business philanthropic sure. academic community mm-hmm. can come together. 
I can start just, and I, I don't want to um, take away from the mental health, but we are working on a um, sort of a call to action that will engage um, different sectors of, of across Chicago in very specific working groups and other initiatives. The city can't manage all of the efforts that are going on, and so many have emerged on their own, but we would like to bring people together in a more structured way to look at um, how to use the creativity, <laughs> thank you, um, to come up with different solutions that government might not come up with, and then partner on that with all of you. So please, um, let's stay in touch, and as that unfolds, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll be ready to launch and invite folks to that conversation. Building on what the deputy mayor had shared, that when we think about supporting mental health, some of it is about thinking about the past traumas that migrant arrivals have experienced and thinking about how that influences their sense of safety and belonging. There's a lot that is tied to housing, and there's a lot that's tied to a job and meeting basic needs that also is a foundation for mental health. Being able to know that you have a warm coat as it's getting colder mm -hmm. is critical. What we also know in research, what we also know in practice is that when a city is received, is perceived as being unsafe, unwelcoming, even threatening, it makes adjustment that much harder. Mm -hmm. So there are concrete things that we can do when it comes to, if we want to center mental health, we do need to do the advocacy that we have talked about. We need to make sure that there are more funds to do this work in a dignified way. We need to make sure there are pipelines mm -hmm. and partnership to make sure that we are resourced. But I also know there's a call to action to make sure we have enough donations to make mm -hmm. sure that all of these arrivals have the basic coats, uh, the basic needs that they need to get through a winter here in Chicago. We also need more coordination, coordination around these training efforts, things that we can do to make sure that the workforce is ready to continue welcoming migrant arrivals, working with city, community, different municipalities to make sure that trainings get to the people that are front-facing who can be the first responders as part of this larger call, especially if we think about supporting mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I think it's a matter of communication. Um, Jesus works with the uh, city of Chicago is doing a great job bringing us all together and collaboration um, because we got to get out of our four walls. Yes. OK, of our, you know, religious institutions and actually have some boots on the ground. Um, but I just think that we just need to find ways to kind of collaborate. Um, I think each uh, individual faith-based and community-based organization need to do what we call exegesis. I think they need to look at at uh, in the community because to see the nuances, because all, all communities are not the same, right? And all of the needs are not the mm -hmm. same. So we got to assess what those needs are, right? And then we need to mm -hmm. collaborate to put resources, I think, together to kind of, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of solve those problems. And we also need to course correct mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, um, this, this situation is growing and it's, to be honest with you, kind of out of control, right? And so we have to course correct as we, as we are, are going and what worked six months, nine months ago may not work today, right? So we got to constantly be at the table, um, evaluating what's going on. And so, uh, uh one of my colleagues here, uh, Dr. Kiera is here. And so I ask her all the time. I said, Hey, you know, what are the revelations? What are we learning as we are, are working with these migrants? Cause I, I want to make sure that what we're doing is effective and efficient and relevant, mm -hmm. right. right? 
So that's what I think. I think we need to really collaborate and just kind of work together to uh, because I think collectively we can make a difference if we just work together. Um, one of the questions from someone in the audience is about how St. Louis has offered to relocate migrants from Chicago. And this asks, you know, might the city coordinate philanthropy, nonprofits, jobs, health and social services mm-hmm. for migrants the way St. Louis is doing? I met with a refugee resettlement organization from St. Louis that is partnering with the mayor's office there. And they would like for us to work with them to help resettle asylum seekers from Chicago to go to St. Louis. They're not the only city. Um, that It was an initial conversation. We're looking into doing that. We can't force anyone to move there, but we will offer them that opportunity. Um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Topeka, Kansas, I believe Omaha, Nebraska, have not reached out to us, but have reached out to border cities. And we know that there's a growing network of city-to-city conversations, Nonprofits at the at the city level calling each other to say, I have this family that is willing to move. You know, would you take them in and what could you do to support them? And that was one of the exciting um, for me, one of the promising outcomes of the border trip is is recognizing that that is happening. We are going to be connecting with people on a national level to see what we can do to support that and potentially, um, you know, help people who are here choose to move to other places that can support them more fully. Um, and additionally, I wanted to comment on something Pastor Phelps said. You know, churches are also opening their doors for homestays. Yes. So taking in one or two families or three families, they can live there in space that they have, and then the congregation helps to support them on their way. But that needs funding, and that's another place that philanthropy, you know, other organizations that want to find a way to, to support can do that if if we have 100 churches that support three people or three families, that's 300 families that could make a difference. So there are ways, creative ways like that, to also be able to to support this work. Excellent point. Okay. And Pastor Phelps, if you want to, if you want to take this one, um, this says Woodlawn is one of the most economically diverse Black communities in Chicago. How do we sustain what's happening and make way for what is to come? Well, again, I, I think it's going to. Oh, I don't want to say it's going to be easy to sustain, but I think what we're doing is creating an infrastructure, right? So that, um, let's just say in a perfect world, because the city had said, hey, look, um, we're only going to be there two years. <laughs> now, we know that that's not accurate. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's before you. <laughs> yeah, before your time. But we know that they're going to be there longer than two years, Right. Uh, and so, but let's just say that they are, you're right. Again, they're still going to be homeless. Mm -hmm. They're still going to be hungry. They're still going to be those that need our support. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think if, um, if we began to just see them as humans, right, we just create these structures, right. So that in these organizations, right. So that, that they'll be able to service, you know, um, anyone that's in those particular communities, Right. So that's what I think. We just need to create the infrastructures that are solid. Right. And that, again, uh, that is expandable. Right. Um, So that we can continue on. So that's what I'm working with the city and other uh, faith based and community based organizations like Chicago for All, which is also based in in Woodline to actually do. That's what we're doing. We're creating systems and structures that will be able to sustain, you know, um, uh, the, the, the system beyond 
this present need. Mm-hmm. Right. Building. Yeah. Building something to keep exactly. going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Capacity planning. That's what we're doing. Okay. Absolutely. And Beatrice, you talked a little bit about this. Maybe talk a little bit more in terms of this um, this idea that migrants from Venezuela are receiving a very different reception compared to refugees from Ukraine. Can you speak a little bit about, um, you know, maybe it's you know it's about legal status, but you know, if, if you could talk a little bit more about why there might be. I think I think in, if we look to our history. Every, every wave of, of migration has been faced with some resistance. There's fear, fear of the other. So you have people that are different than you. They speak a different language. And we've seen this, you know, when the Irish came, they weren't welcome. When the Italians came, they weren't welcome. It took a while for people to be come part of Chicago, and that's not just unique to Chicago. Um, what, what I believe is happening is that because the numbers People are coming in such high numbers, and we have open shelters across almost every community in Chicago. If you look at a map of our shelters, they go from north to south, and then people are in police district stations, and those are in every neighborhood in the city that... For, for regular Chicagoans who might not understand why Venezuelans are coming here and other migrants, um, they might just feel some displacement of their community resources, fear of whether people, you know, are going to be criminals because that's been a stereotype of immigrants forever, right? They come from a different country. They speak a different language. They might not be safe. I think a lot of those, those concerns are, we're seeing them now, even from immigrant communities. And what it'll take is for us on the ground to have conversations, to meet as Reverend Phelps has talked about, meet meet some of the people that are here. They really are human beings just like all of us. And as we get to know each other and build community at the ground level, there will be better understanding of of um, of our new neighbors. It, but it will take some time at the policy and government level. Yeah. We can't manage that. We can do what we can to provide um, a safe and decent place and some supports and help integrate. But really a lot of the dynamics of getting to know who our new neighbors are have to happen in our communities um, on an individual and uh, community asset level for that to, to change over time. And, and I connected to that, I would say that we are on a global stage. I, I've been, I was in DC for the Migration Policy Institute conference. People are watching Chicago because we are handling this differently than New York and Denver and DC and LA. And they're looking at us more like some of the European cities that have also had very high numbers of, um, Syrian refugees, Rohingya. There, there are people right now, high numbers of refugees and migration are happening in other parts of the world. But Chicago is being looked at as the American city that is taking this on in a different way. Um, and I think that's exciting. It's a challenge, but I hope that we're able to to step up and rise to that to that challenge. Okay. I think we have time for one more question, unless I'm wrong on that and we get a little more. Um, this one talks about, it says, I am, I'm struck and horrified by the language being used to describe the migrants. Mm-hmm. It's the same that was used um, to talk about black people historically, mm-hmm. but the concerns and tension are real. What do you say about people who are here and without services, homeless and ignored prior to the influx of migrants, yeah. knowing that this is a politically manufactured and motivated issue? I don't think that this is ignoring. Yeah. If anything, the migrant crisis has actually highlighted that we have so many communities that have been 
disinvested in. We have so many communities that are under-resourced. And so we do understand, I'm going to use the collective we, that there are communities that watch what is happening and wondering how the red carpet has been rolled out for these arrivals when so many communities are wondering, what about me? When we think about the workforce that is actually supporting migrant arrivals, so many of them talk about how their, their immigration experiences parallel that of the stories of those who are arriving. They pass through the Darien Grab. They, too, are undocumented. They, too, want access to mental health care. They want housing supports. They want legal supports. And so what we're seeing is not ignoring that these challenges exist in Chicago. But to the, the deputy mayor's point, it's we have to learn how to build an infrastructure for all. And we are learning by doing. I have watched with such awe and grace of just the grace of the teams at the city level, at the state level, that this is nothing that any of us expected, and yet we are responding in a way that sees the humanity in each arrival, that wants to do dignified resettlement, Mm -hmm. and really thinks about a long-term plan for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so it is hard to listen to this messaging. What I want to say is also that the arrivals hear those messages as well. That they are getting messages of being unwelcome, that they don't belong here. And that is really hard when you're trying to rebuild your life because you had no choice. Mm-hmm. Trying to rebuild anew is really difficult when the environment is hostile. We have to combat that messaging. And that's something you can do right around your dinner table. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, yeah. <laughs> and again, I, I'd like to, again, clarify that. Right now, we're doing that. So, at, at, you know, at the Concord Community Organization, we're not just, you know, serving migrants, okay? We are serving African Americans in that community. We are, you know, providing clothes for them. We are open to feeding them. We are providing spiritual support to them, you know? So everything that we do is with a focus on community. It's not at, at it's not it's not either or. It's both. You know, we have to do both. And so that's what we're doing now. And as I said, even when the the building is empty of migrants, I'm saying to the city, give me that building. Mm-hmm. OK, because there's still going to be, you know, some homeless. There's still going to be people that need our services in the Woodline community, regardless of their color. Right. And so. Uh, again, we start now. We don't have to wait until they've integrated into society to start helping black people. No, we want to help black people now, just like we want to help brown people. Right. It's both. It's both. And I'm willing again. I want to stress this. I'm willing to work with anybody that wants to work with us, not to just be critical. I have so many people that say to me, hey, what about the African-American? What about the African-American? And listen, and I give them my number and I said, hey, call me. Let's work together. And so that's my message to you. Call me. Let's work together. You know, show me. Show me. Let's work together. Let's not just talk about it, but let's be about it. Mm -hmm. I want to comment on the city's take on this because it is it is not either or it's both yeah. and mayor mayor johnson is, is very clear about that some of the other things that are 
that we've worked on, One Fair Wage, which is makes a difference in, in both black and brown and other communities, um, bringing, Bring Chicago Home, which will provide funding for longer-term affordable housing for anybody that needs it. At the state level, the Home Illinois program that is focused on supports for preventing and ending homelessness are for anybody that is unhoused and that is challenged. And I think that as a city, just in terms of, of numbers in this in this budget, um, 250 million has been allocated for programs to address people experiencing homelessness and 150 million for, for this issue. So we are trying to do both and it is about both and because ultimately it's building an infrastructure and a new continuum of care that will make a difference to these communities. And as we continue to look at neighborhoods that have been disinvested in historically, um, they will be impacted and supported by these efforts as well. Great. Thank you. Um, so much to um, digest and so much more to do. Um, thank you, Dr. Haldo, uh, Pastor Phelps, Deputy Mayor Ponce de Leon, and of course, Kristen, for asking all the tough questions. You know you're going to get the tough questions here at City <laughs> Club. Um, but thank you all for being part of the solution and uh, it seems to me that we're going to have to have all of you back soon. Um, clearly, this is a complex issue that um, that there's going to it's going to take a whole lot of effort from everybody in this room um, and and beyond. So, um, you know, especially the deputy mayor, we we city club always always um, you know proud to to have this platform and share it uh, with all of you who are doing good things to change the future of our city and please if you if you if you have something um to the pastor's point also we we love your ideas and we love your input and your feedback um there's a lot more to come there are some some people here that are not here some people that are not here that that will want to be here um there's a lot of messages that are going to be refined and plans that'll be put in place it sounds like and we want to be able to just be that that non-biased non-partisan platform to share that so please please do come back um to entice you to do that i'm going to share a one-year membership with each of you so thank you thank you as a thank you for for being here uh thank you to all of you uh for not only being here you could be many places and spending your time um but also for all the good you're doing in in around the city um, it takes it, it takes a village, right? It takes a, it takes a city, and, and it's great to have all of you come together here at City Club, where we can have these discussions. Uh, we look forward to having you back. We do have a couple of I know Jackie mentioned uh, tomorrow Halloween, Happy Halloween. Uh, we've got the Community Violence Intervention um, Panel, the Metropolitan uh, Peace Initiatives, and then November sixth, we have our very own uh, uh, Deborah uh, Deborah Witzberg, the um, Inspector General of the City of Chicago, is going to host a, a a nice uh, lunch talking about some of the work she's doing. And then, of course, November 16th, we have our, our event that you'll all be hearing about very soon. If you haven't already, it's going to be a fun evening event um, that will that'll help showcase, celebrate the 120-year history of the, of the City Club, but also really put an emphasis on the future in the next 100 years. Um, again, thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you to our panelists. Thank you to the Crown School for helping pull this together. A great partner in all of this and to our sponsors. Um, we look forward to having everyone back and, um, and hopefully making things a little bit better as we go.
So thanks for your efforts. Thanks for being here.